Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit, also known as the Nine edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. One of the cut's most listened to episodes featured the model Emily Ratajkowski. This was last year, and she came to talk about a piece she'd written for The Cut about a harrowing experience from earlier in her career. It started with a photo shoot she did with photographer Jonathan Letter, where he took explicit photos of her. And after that, Emily alleges, he assaulted her. I didn't realize what was happening until I felt the way he was touching me. Like, that was when I, like, was like, this isn't, like, this isn't right. Years after the incident, Letter released a book of the photos he took of Emily from that shoot. And when Emily tweeted that the book was being released without her consent, it only backfired and put more media attention on the book. And the explicit photos of her. I thought, like, okay, I'm going to, like, make my position clear. And then it felt like the whole world was basically like, so, like, you're wrong. You took these pictures. Like, you posed for these pictures, and therefore, like, we're going to enjoy them. (laughs) Emily expands on the ideas of objectification, empowerment, looking and being looked at in her new book called My Body, In it, she writes about her breakout moment in 2013, dancing mostly nude in the controversial music video for the equally controversial song by Robin Thicke, Blurred Lines. She writes about her first encounters with the idea that she was desirable back when she was still a child. And she writes about taking control of the commodification of her own body as an adult. One of our executive producers, Hannah Rosen, recently sat down with Emily in front of an audience to talk about the book. We're going to play that interview for you today, recorded live at 6th and I in Washington, D.C. Here's Hannah. I have to, like, bask in the weirdness of this moment for one second, of being live and having people live. Hi, everyone. People are here. So exciting. Thank you for coming to Washington. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Yeah. I feel um, this book is so personal. There's a whole section of the book that in my head I think of as like the miseducation of Emily or like Mm -hmm. the the signals basically that you received. Um, And I want to talk about that, like even in your teenage life. The, The interesting thing about that part of the book to me was normally when people are going through puberty or preteens, it's like the signals that come from inside that are confusing to you. But I feel like in your case, even before you were conscious of it, it's all the stuff that, it was like the the cues that came from outside to you. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like the first time you realized that, or not necessarily the first time that your body was a thing, that people started to send that signal to you from outside. Yeah. um, I mean, I think that 
I developed really young and I had a woman's body before I even understood or knew what sex was. Um, so it put me in a really strange position. One of the first essays I ever published was something called Baby Woman because I was truly a baby, but it was perceived. Now I look back at pictures and I'm like, really? People thought I was an adult. Um, I looked like a child, but I did look older. Um, and I certainly, I started to kind of have this experience of both um, feeling really self-aware in a positive and also in a negative way. Um, so, you know, at middle, in my middle school, feeling the, you know, attention that I got from boys, which means that meant that the, you know, popular girls wanted to be friends with me and thinking like, oh, that's a good thing. Um, but then also, you know, feeling um, like I had a vice principal snap my bra strap or... I know, I always remember that. That's, yeah. That image sticks in my head of like... That sucks. She was a woman, um, interestingly. <laughs> I don't think I specify that in the book. Um, but, you know... And, and what's the point? Like, what are you I supposed to do? I think in her mind, it was... I mean, and this is really kind of that essay in general, Beauty Lessons. Um, you know, I'm interested in exploring the ways that women try to protect other women um, by kind of teaching them the hard way or teaching them about the world and the way that their beauty and their sexuality and their bodies are going to be consumed. Um, and I think that, for example, that vice principal sort of thought she was saying to me, like, you should watch out, you should be aware of this, and, like, if I don't snap your bra strap, somebody else will kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think, you know... I don't think she was doing it necessarily in a malicious way. I don't know. Um, but I mean, in general, that was sort of the purpose behind that essay. Um, I had an ex-boyfriend whose mom um, was like a very cool lady, um, and she only had a son. And at one point, we were talking about if she had a, had a daughter, and she said, well, I would have like obviously made sure that she you know, stayed thin. And I like almost spit up my lunch <laughs> because I was like, wait, what? Like, you're a smart lady with cool politics, and you're talking about how you would make sure your daughter stays thin. Like, that's, you. come on, you must know that that's, like, a recipe for an eating disorder. Um, and I realized that in her mind, it was her, it was her thinking that would be protecting her daughter and ensuring her daughter a good future and love because thin women are loved more. Um, but your own parents, I feel like there's a, there's weird mixed messages in there. Like there's yes. like a thing that sticks in my head that your dad said to your mom mm -hmm. when people complimented on her on her beauty. Yeah, her father, not my Oh, it father. was her father. Yes. Can you say what he would say? Yeah, so that's part of why I included that in the essay. Um, my grandfather would say to my mother, you know, you shouldn't say thank you when someone compliments you on the way you look because you've done nothing to deserve it. And he was a really serious person. And I think that he made her feel ashamed for the way she looked and, you know, her body particularly. And it, it was a source of shame for her and her family, which is why I think in some ways she took the other route of like, celebrate your beauty, you know, old boys looking at you, um, whatever, and kind of saying like, this should be a source of pride. But in a lot of ways, it made me very aware of the way I was perceived and I write about this in that essay, like praying for beauty when I was very young, like six. And, and what know, did you think it 
was? Like, was it a source of power? Well, I mean, just to be clear, yes, it was definitely a source of power. Like, this wasn't just in my family. It was also, you know, I grew up in the early aughts and the age of, like, the most powerful women to me were Britney Spears and pop stars and beautiful women. Um, And not just my generation. Like, my parents loved older movies. We'd watch, like, Marilyn Monroe and Some Like It Hot, and it was like, okay, so there's men who can be powerful because they're presidents or they're comedians or they're rock stars. But to me, it seemed that the most powerful women were always the ones who were most desired by men. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that as a very young person, instead of praying for money (laughs) or um, intelligence or safety, like it seemed, it it just said so much to me when I looked back on that and thought about like, how did I learn that that should be the thing that I prayed for and wanted yeah. I, I kind of really want to talk about the blurred lines portion of the book because I... Have you rewatched that video? <laughs> Do you never watch it anymore? I rewatched it when I was writing the essay. It's so weird to think about that and think, like, that's what propelled me to fame. It's such an odd, moment-specific artifact of the culture, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what I wanted to convey when I wrote the essay and truly how I feel about it is um, I don't feel that connected to it. It was a job that I showed up to for a day. Um, so, you know, even choosing to write about it was strange strange for me because so much of the rest of the book is so personal. And this was definitely a moment of using, you know, what that video and what I represented in the zeitgeist to sort of give an inside look of, of my experience and my approach to modeling and the kind of power dynamics that were at play on that, on that set. I mean, I think it was just an interesting time because people were sort of already you know, feminist, like, people were kind of talking about, okay, maybe things in the past haven't totally been, like, great for women, but, like, how can they be great for women while still being hot? Right. (laughs) You know? Um, Right. Essentially. Um, Well, the interesting part, which I did not know about that video, is, is that the setup, the person setting up the video was trying to create kind of a good vibe for you guys. It was almost had this, like, weird, like, sisterhood vibe in the room in the actual making of it yeah I mean I think that another reason I wanted to write about that experience is because it was a female director it was a female DP there were tons of young women on props makeup set design whatever um and for me at the time I think I was 20 21 and I had just been working as a model which you know I describe in the book I had this really hard-headed kind of like this is my industry I'm working I'm a mannequin it's not fun it's not glamorous and when the video was criticized and people came to me and sort of I think there was a, a certain amount of pointing fingers and like how dare you be a part of this you know misogynistic thing I felt really protective of of the women that I had liked so much on set and how much fun I had had on set Mm -hmm. compared to like front side back of a shirt or shooting with some, you know, creepy group of guys. I was like, wait, I, I made friends on that video. They asked me how I felt. I, that's why I danced the way I did because I was having fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and did you feel tricked after that or you felt sincere? Like that would, they were with me. I felt sincere. Um, Uh I felt sincere. I felt also defiant. Um, which is sort of why 
I wasn't saying like, also the guys who I shot it with were kind of assholes, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, because um, I felt very protective of the experience that I had had with that director and with those other women and also protective of, I wanted my politics to align with how I wanted to see myself and feel. Mm-hmm. Um, which Wait, was, what do you mean by that? I wanted to feel powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to feel small. I didn't want to feel like a mannequin. I wanted to say, look, I worked this system. Um, I, you know, had this commodifiable asset, my body, and um, I had a great time on set. And like, yeah, you know what? That was, maybe that was even power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, I think that's true of a lot, not to go on a separate tangent, but a lot of the ways that our beliefs are often about our identity and how, and what we want to, how we want to see and feel about ourselves, which was why it was so important for me to also write kind of the full experience about what it really was like and, you know, also inspect why I was defiant and why it felt so important for me to feel powerful as the naked girl in a music video. I mean, I think that's the whole trick of the book is like something that we see generally on the surface. Like we're just seeing your Instagram or we're just seeing you in the video. We like the pleasure of the book is that you get in, you get the internal thoughts of that, like what that experience is like. And that's what's interesting about it. But it's like a hard, it's like a hard line to walk. Like mm-hmm. they're, because it's not you commodifying your own body mm-hmm. yet. You're just getting paid to show up for a few hours. And pe- other people are telling you you're being objectified, but mm-hmm. you're trying to like somehow feel powerful. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I would say that, you know, my relationship with Instagram at that time actually felt the same way. It, it was similar to the ways that I felt about that video and the environment that was on set, which was that I, you know, was in control in some ways. Um mm-hmm. I, you know, models in the 90s didn't have a way of dictating what images they were putting out. Um, It was just left up to the magazines and whatever editor and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, I can curate my identity online myself. I can control that. And that felt really good. It felt like, you know, it it felt like control. Yeah. I mean, the thing that, like, is on the other side of the scale is there are moments in the book when you realize oh, wait, if this is my path to power, money, control, I'm kind of dependent on men, like the men who want this. It's like their desire I'm playing to. So that, what is that realization? Like, how does that turn the feeling? A lot of the experience I had as a young person, as a model, but also with interactions in my personal life was like, because I'm young and I'm desirable, I'm the one who has the power. And I think that even men felt that way, the men that I was interacting with. And I think actually some of the instances that I write about in the book, they almost felt like they were like reclaiming their power by kind of doing these like disrespectful things because it felt like, oh, this young, beautiful girl, like she's actually emasculating me in some way because she has the power here because she's desired. Um, even though now I look back and I'm like, oh, I was actually so young. I was a kid and you were an adult. And, you know, the power dynamic was very different than what I thought. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of part of the revelation of Blurred Lines and, and charting my relationship to that video, my memory of that video, and um, how it's also representative of the evolution of my politics. Mm-hmm. This is a risky thing to do in the book, which is to like, like the thing you wrote about your trip or sort of when you start to 
commodify yourself almost and and ask people it's hard to be sort of rich and successful and ask people to inhabit your mind or feel mm. sympathetic that feels like a risky thing to do um did you ever think about that and like how people like will they feel sorry for me no they won't feel sorry for me because i am rich and or whatever yeah i mean i didn't write any of the essays like looking for sympathy i wrote them because i had questions about my own existence and my own contradictions and my own life that I wanted to explore and maybe try to come up with some answers, but also just have like an investigation and a record of that investigation and an essay that then people could kind of, you know, tell me what they, what they think about these things. What, mm-hmm. their, what are their thoughts? What are their politics? What do they make of these experiences? Um, and like, what does it say about the world we live in that you can be paid to go on a vacation and, you know, like the ways that I'm kind of trying to take back control. And I mean, you know, when you say commodifying yourself, it's like, I hear you, but at the same time, my experience from blurred lines to doing that feels very... Like, it feels like the same thing. It's like taking a check, you know? What do you mean? Like, there's a moment when you're... when It feels like in the book there's a moment when you actually make the decision, like, why would I... Why would I put, you know, why would I wear a bikini for somebody else's mm-hmm. bikini company? I might as well do it for myself, post it on my own Instagram, and that feels powerful. But that's not, like, the end. That's well, I think it's just yet. about control. It's mm-hmm. about having more control um, as a model and as a commodity and using my body in that way. But I don't know if it really is power. I mean, one of the questions of the book is sort of like, what is empowerment? Is it financial success? Is it a feeling? Is it fulfillment? Is it fame? Um, is it in feeling wanted? Is it in not feeling wanted? Mm-hmm. Um, like, where, what, what does empowerment really mean? It's such a, it's a word I hear so much when it comes to women, um, especially in pop culture. And in my own experience, I'm like, wait, can we just go back and like, can we define that? Um, so that's that's sort of one of the larger questions in the book. After the break. More with Emily Ratajkowski. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit, also known as the Nine edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained, because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. In a weird way, the most powerful essay in the book, which everyone talks about, which is the assault that happened to you when you were younger, and then should we tell that story? I never know how much people know. I mean, that's the story that was on the cut. We'll tell it in very brief, but to me, that's like a thing that happened that is so bad Mm. that it would lead you to take control of your own body, commodity, Mm -hmm. destiny, whatever. Like, it's just so wrong that... Yeah, I mean, at the time... um, 
Let's yeah. tell a story so we're not like speaking in inferences. Yeah, there was a photographer know. who um, shot me when I was like 19. It was kind of a pretty uncomfortable situation. And then he went on to publish multiple books using the images and my, my it's likeness. It's galling. Like years later, they just yeah. show up and he's such an asshole as it's happening. And then like, yeah. sorry. I mean, it's a truly... But like, you know, it's funny that you say that it's so clearly wrong because at the time um, I turned to the internet and tweeted about my experience and how I didn't want the images to be out there and nobody felt like it was wrong. <laughs> but, but it just feels morally outrageous that someone could essentially like trick a young person in this completely weird setup into taking these pictures, be totally dismissive of them, and then years later, like when, you're, when they're worth something, come back and publish pictures of you mm-hmm. and make a ton of money off of it, not contact, like it's an outrageous... Like, in your soul, it feels so outrageous that that could happen. I mean, I hear you, but, you know, for me, that was an experience I had a ton of shame around. I thought I acted a certain way. I didn't protect myself. I wanted to impress him. Um, As he dismissed me, I tried even harder to kind of Mm -hmm. impress him. Um, I, you know, I did take those pictures, so... For me, it didn't feel clear. It still doesn't feel totally clear-cut. I felt complicit in the situation, and I had a lot of shame around it. And also in that essay, I write about paparazzi, like the least relatable thing. (laughs) Anyone, you know, when I published the essay, I was like, I don't think anyone's going to like this um, because I was sure that it was kind of, you know, my experience up until that point was that people had not been sympathetic with those those things, even though they had been out in the public. Um, which was, you know, another, it was very encouraging. I had already sort of had written about 50,000 words of the book, but I hadn't kind of dove in and started to edit. But it was really encouraging to have that piece go out into the world and see that, like, writing could be a medium where at least people could think about the questions that I was posing in a way, you know, that I was communicating something in a way that, you know, gave me control. I mean, I think writing the book, we're talking about control, is an act of control to kind of, try to take back my narrative. Yeah, it's interesting that you say you're not looking for sympathy because I think the reason that essay resonated so much is because it just feels, I guess it just feels real. Like you're not, you you put it out there in, in all the circle of internal thoughts that you had about that situation, including feeling complicit. And so it just, even though your experience is extremely particular, it's not like a million people have had that experience, it's still relatable because everybody's been in a situation where they feel complicit or they've looped around or they don't know if it's their fault or not. So yeah, maybe that's why it was received so well. Yeah, I'm very interested in sort of like being very honest rather than trying to make people feel a certain way because I'm not totally sure how I feel about all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at your Instagram before this event and I was thinking like almost as an addendum to my body, like the kinds of pictures you've posted lately, like the pregnancy series, the pregnancy breastfeeding series. And I was wondering uh, about the relationship to whether it, those were freeing. I mean, the, there's like a beautiful picture of you naked and pregnant. Mm-hmm. How does that moment of your life relate to everything you're writing? It's like your body being used in a totally... I mean, there's a few breastfeeding pictures. Yeah. Just what was that about for you? Um, I was curious about how pregnancy was going to affect me. Talk about lack of control. Um, Like, you wake up every day and your body's just 
doing something completely different and there's mm-hmm. no way to ensure that, you know, everything's going, you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like you really don't. And you're just kind of growing and everything's changing. And, um, but I found it actually really, I really enjoyed it. So much of my life has been relating to my body as a tool and, you know, a tool f- to guarantee lovability as a tool to guarantee financial success. And, um, I think that, you know, it didn't feel like a tool particularly in birth and in pregnancy because it required me to let go of managing that tool. Um, mm-hmm. It was just doing something on its own. And then even more so um, in that last essay, really honestly, the biggest moment for me was the bike ride that I take with my husband and my friend and just sort of being able to appreciate my body as a thing that takes me through life, which Mm -hmm. is what a body is. The Cut is produced by myself and Noor Buzidi, edited by Jolie Myers, mixed by Alex Higgins. Our executive producers are Hannah Rosen and Ashat Kroa. The Cut podcast is made possible by the team at New York Magazine. Subscribe today to support all their work at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm B.A. Parker. Thanks for listening. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you, and their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. Podcast.